This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. Open your Bibles, please, to Mark. Uh, we're in chapter 9. We're in this series uh, called Who Then Is This? Going through the, the Gospel of Mark together, trying to figure out who Jesus is and what that means for us. How do we relate to him? What does it look like for us to be those that are, that are following him? Um, have you ever been in a situation where somebody says something to you um, or maybe warns you or just gives you some information and it doesn't quite register in the moment? Maybe like later on, um, when you get closer to whatever they're telling you about, it kind of registers, but in the moment it just doesn't, you don't really think that much about it. That, that happened to me uh, years ago. I was, I was helping um, lead some music down in Tucson, and it was right by Dove Mountain. And Dove Mountain is a place people go hiking. And so we were at this hotel, and, and the, the, the person at the front said, hey, you got a few hours to kill. Like, Dove Mountain's really nice. You can go walk up there. Here's some walking sticks. I'd never used a walking stick in my life, but I'm like, okay, like walking stick. You know, take some water, walk along. He said, and there's, there's also, you know, you never know, you might see some animals out there and, you know, whatever. So I thought, oh, okay. Like, it didn't register, you know, what he's saying. And I go walking out there, go through the dry riverbed. It takes me about 15 minutes. I'm distracted. I'm thinking about all sorts of other things, music we're going to play and whatever. I'm, I'm looking at the sights. It's really pretty out here. And I'm, what I'm not thinking about is the animals. Because uh, when I got to the trailhead about 15 minutes later, this is what I saw. You have a picture up here for you. Mountain lion has been sighted. Me. Ah, oh, there we go. Mountain lions have been sighted in the area recently, and I stopped for a second, and I stood there for about five minutes staring at it, thinking, okay, I'm no longer distracted. I, I understand there's, there's animals in the area. What do I do? And I should have gone back. Um, I didn't. I was like, well, clearly it's probably safe, because or else they wouldn't tell me to go out here. So I, I walked the path, and no mountain lions eat, eat, you know, ate me, which is good. I'm still here. Um, but... The whole time that there's animals in the area warning that I was distracted by that seemed so far away that had no bearing on me, when it came really close and really real, no, I wasn't distracted anymore. Every single turn that I made, I was like slowly looking for a mountain lion, listening for, is there going to be a mountain lion right here? Like, is something going to eat me? How do, I, how do I get out of this? There was something that I was now focused on. It was really close. It wasn't far away anymore. It wasn't something that I, I was distracted about anymore. I was like, nope, here it is. I have to really think about this now in my life. And sometimes uh, when things seem distant or, or don't, aren't, don't confront us that, you know, that closely, when things seem so far away, when things seem out, you know, out of the realm of, oh, this doesn't affect me at all, we hear something, it doesn't do anything to us. And we can become easily distracted. We can forget about what we've been told. We can forget about the thing that really matters uh, until we get closer to it. And the closer we get to it, the less distracted we become. And this, this also happens, Christian, in the Christian life. This happens to us. It's going to happen to the disciples in Mark chapter 9. It happens in our discipleship. It happens with the cross of Jesus. It happens with the gospel. 
the, the closer we get to the gospel realities, to the cross, to the resurrection, to what Jesus actually accomplished in redemption for us, the closer we get, the less distractions are, and the further away we get in our minds as we're thinking about them, or they seem far off, we just don't, we're, we're not aware of them anymore, uh, the more distracted we can become with other things. Other things become more important. Other things take over our thoughts. And we're going to see this here with the, with the disciples. And Jesus is going to, is going to help them uh, in terms of thinking through their priorities, how they're thinking about things. My big idea this morning is distance from the cross of Christ leads to distracted discipleship. Distance from the cross of Christ leads to distracted discipleship. And we need to get this. We need to grasp it because the question is, does it really matter? I mean, we're all just, we're all Christians walking this life out. Does it really matter? I mean, I mean, what if we're distracted sometimes? Is it a big deal? Should we really focus on it? Should it really bother us? I want to get there at the end. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the text. Mark chapter 9, we're going to be in verses 30 through 50, 20 verses this morning. And uh, we're going to figure out how we can uh, break this down. I'm actually going to have simply three signs that I'm a distracted disciple and then a warning. And it sounds like a lot. I'm going to go pretty quickly through the first two and, and slow down a little bit at the end. But three signs I'm a distracted disciple and a warning is kind of our breaking it down today. And then we're going to figure out how we can live it out. So this is the Bible. This is the word of God to us this morning from Mark chapter 9. Beginning in verse 30, it says this. Then they left that place. And made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it. This is Jesus. He didn't want anyone to know what they were doing. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. And if you remember, Jesus now is hyper-focused on his disciples because he knows he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to the cross. It's happening He's on his way there, and he doesn't want anyone else to be with him right now. It's just him and his disciples, and he wants to reiterate for the second time that he is going to die. And if you remember in chapter 8, if you were with us in verse 31, he says, it is necessary for the Son of Man to die. This is necessary. It, it has to happen this way. Because if the Son of Man doesn't die, there is no redemption. There is no hope for you. And so Jesus is on his way to... Um, to the cross, and he, he wants his disciples to hear these things. He reminds them again, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to the cross. Verse 32, but they did not understand this statement. They were afraid to ask him. It's too far away. I mean, it just doesn't seem like they, they're not getting it. Well, really? I, maybe Jesus doesn't know what he's saying. Maybe it's just so far away that he just does, he's not, he's not being clear enough. They don't understand, and so they're not even concerned about it. They're like, I don't know, and I'm not even going to ask him because I, I don't want to know. Better to just close my eyes and pretend nothing's wrong. It's like going to the doctor sometimes or not going to the doctor. You know something's wrong, and you're like, you know what? If I just ignore this, it's probably going to go away, you know, which is the opposite of what we should do. We should probably go to the doctor and figure out what's going on. This is kind of what they're doing. They didn't want to ask him. They were afraid to ask him, and so they don't. The cross is, it's just, it just seems like a distance. There's nothing, they don't, want to, they don't want to think about it. They came to Capernaum, 
And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? Remember, this is the way where he was saying, I'm going to die. They were arguing about something in that same you know, time frame. But they were silent because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. It's ironic. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not, uh, whoever, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, Jesus, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for the... It is better to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let me just make a quick mention here before I go on and, and give you my um, three signs that, that I'm a distracted disciple in this warning. Let me just say this. You may have noticed as you were reading uh, through this that there is no verse 44 or verse 46. And maybe you thought to yourself, see, I knew it. Bible's not true. Like, this is it. This is, we can't, can't be trusted. Like, they forgot to put them in here, whatever it is. Um, 44 and 46 are not in here because um, in the earliest and original uh, manuscripts, the ones that they have, you know, the longest, uh, there is no verse 40, uh, 44 and 46. But, but there are some manuscripts that have those two verses, and it's the exact same verse as verse 48. It's identical. And so, like, so it seems like something happened there. Maybe there was a Three, you know, someone added them three times. The effect is the same. It doesn't change what it means. It just, they didn't want to have something where they weren't sure if it was original. But verse 48 is the exact same as 46 and 44. Just saying, essentially, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, it's, there's unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And verse 46 is the same as 48. All right? Does that make sense? So the Bible is true. We want to make sure we get it right. That's what, that's what happened there in terms of as they were putting it together for us. Um, Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. It is necessary for the Son of Man to die. And they didn't see it. They, they, they were too far away from it. It just seemed so outside the realm of possibility for them. Like being told, hey, be careful over here when you go to this place. And we're like, we're not even close to that place. Hey, be careful of some animals. Okay. And then you, you, know, you don't think about it. 
This is, kind of what's, this is kind of what's happening to the disciples. It's not close enough. They see Jesus as their teacher. They have an expectation of what he's going to do. They're not thinking about what he actually is going to do, which is die for the sins of the whole world, yours and mine. They're not thinking that. They're thinking something else, and so they, they don't want to contemplate it. And what happens is, on the road, they find themselves distracted. Distracted from the very thing that is of most importance, that Jesus is trying to so clearly tell them, there is going to be a time where I will not be with you anymore. And they don't see it, they're not grasping it, and they're distracted on all sorts of other things. It's like, it's like you know, uh, it's like the movie Up, where it's the dog, and he's just distracted by squirrels all the time. They're just, oh, squirrel, there's a squirrel over there, you know, and there's, they're not thinking about what's actually of most importance. And so I have, I have three signs that I'm a distracted disciple, maybe three signs you're a distracted disciple. I include myself in this, and then a warning. Three signs and a warning. The first sign is this. Three si- the first sign I'm a distracted disciple is that I'm, I'm self focused. And we see this in, in uh, these first few verses, in, starting in verse 33. They, they came and they were trying to figure out which one of us is the greatest disciple. Who is it? Is it Peter? Peter's like, of course. John's saying, give me a break. Like, it's not you, it's me. And James is saying, it's not either one of you guys. It's me. Like, I'm the greatest. And maybe one of the other ones said, I think it's Peter. Like, they're so focused on themselves. They're just focused internally. Who of us does Jesus like the most? Who's the best one in here? You know, like as you, maybe this is like us walking into a room. We try and size up the room sometimes. Like, okay, where do I fit here in this room scale if there is one? Where am I? Where do I fit here? Where, 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 where am I here? We're just so self-focused. And, and these guys are trying to figure out in the midst of Jesus saying, I will not be with you forever. They're saying, cool, Jesus, uh, which one do you like the most? Is it me? I think it pro- it's probably me. It's a self-focus. And when we focus so much on ourselves instead of the things going on around us or focus on my small little kingdom instead of the the kingdom of Jesus, which we're supposed to be serving, when I do that, I get distracted by what is most important. I don't think about the things that Jesus is calling me to because I'm so concerned about me and what I need and what people are, are doing to serve me. And how people think about me. And how I need to get more things. I remember, uh, you know, maybe a few years ago I was driving and there was an accident and I sat in traffic for a really long time. And you know, you ever sit in traffic and you just get more angry as you're sitting there like, what is going on? Like, why am I sitting here for so long? And there was a car accident that I passed. I remember thinking, man, why did somebody, they should have just paid more attention. Because I'm going to be late. And it dawned on me later, like, what a selfish thing to think. Like, here's somebody, I don't know if that person's alive. That person could have died. That person's, definitely their day is way more affected than my day. And yet, I was so focused on me. I am delayed. What is going on? You're, you're affecting me here. And these guys are really focused on, hey, what about me? And they're forgetting that someone is going to die. 
and it's the Savior. It's their Messiah, the one that they're, they're going to follow. He is going to the cross. He's just told them it is necessary for the Son of Man to be betrayed, to die and to rise again. They, they didn't get it. It was so far away. They didn't see it. These guys are, are self-focused. This is the first sign of a, of a distracted disciple. Maybe that's you. Maybe you evaluate your life and you think, yeah, I think about me quite a bit. You know why? Because we love some of us. I, I love some of me. We, we, have to, we have to evaluate this. And Jesus says, brothers, it's not about you. It's not about you. You're going to be, uh, you want to be the greatest? You need to be the servant of all. You, you want to be, be the first? Serve others, is what he tells them. It's the first time we're distracted disciples. Second one is that I'm others critical. We can be me-centered. We can also be others-centered, but, but others-centered not in a good way. You know, sometimes it's good to be others-centered, and we go, yeah, I think about other people. I'm trying to serve them, but we can be others-centered in a, in a critical way. Like, I think about others and how bad they're doing and how they're not really doing what they should be doing. This is what these guys are doing. They, John just says, hey, we saw someone driving out demons, but they weren't with us, and so um, we, got, we got angry with them. Like, we tried to stop them because, man, those guys weren't, they weren't, Jesus, they weren't with you. They weren't doing this stuff. They weren't a part of this group. They're out there. We don't want them doing stuff. Like, they, need to, they need to stop. They need to stop doing what they're doing. And, and Jesus corrects this as well. No, no, if they're, if they're doing things, if they're performing miracles in his name, let them do it. It's okay. Stop being so critical of them. Stop looking outside and saying, what are these guys doing? Look, this is something we can do. We look at this, we can think about this with churches around us. We can think about this with people and how they think about some you know, polit politics, Christians. We can think about how people are thinking about life choices. We, we can look around all the time and just think, they're not doing this right. 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 They need to do this differently. I wish that they were different kind of people. I wish that they would think differently. Why do they like cats and not dogs? That's stupid. They should totally like cats. Why do they like football and not baseball? Why do they like sports at all? Those guys are idiots. What is going on? Like this is how we can fall into this trap. This is all social media is these days. Especially if you go to, to Twitter, it's like a, it's a cesspool over there. I don't know why I'm still on there. I've said that for a year and a half. I'm still on there, all right? I don't know why, but, but we, we have this mentality sometimes that I need to be evaluating and judging how everybody else is doing, and we forget that our mission here isn't to criticize others. It's to tell others about Jesus and to allow them to know who he is, to proclaim his death and his resurrection to them. That is the mission it doesn't matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat. They need to hear about Jesus. And yet we go, yeah, they can't be saved because they've chosen a political party we don't like. These people aren't doing what we ask them to do. This church doesn't. You know, one of the things that I, I actually really appreciated about planting Anchor, um, and I still have friendships this way, is how many churches around us came to us and said, hey, how can we serve you guys? What do you guys need? Can we come alongside you? We're so grateful we're on the same mission. And we, we went and visited churches when we planted this church just because we said, we're not doing something that other churches aren't doing. It's the same God, the same Jesus, the same empty tomb. It's the same mission to proclaim the blood-bought sacrifice of Jesus so that people might know him. 
And I'm grateful that we get to, we get to come alongside other churches in the area and just say, how can we, how can we be a united force to, to preach Jesus? So many cities in this country, I've seen it over and over again, so many cities have churches that feel it's competitive to plant a church. We're not in competition. We're on the same mission. And yet so many of us can um, walk around as Christians like we're the Christian Scrooge, you know, like the, A Christmas Carol. I love Christmas movies. A Christmas Carol, he's just, he's just angry at everything. We can be like Scroogey type Christians, distracted by all that's wrong with everybody else, and now I hate this, and I don't like this, and these people. And, and what, when people interact with us then, they just come, we come across as we're just embittered instead of being, uh, you know, proclaiming the, the gospel of Jesus, and we see it. See, for these guys, Jesus said, look, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. And they're just too far away. They're in Capernaum. And Jerusalem's like long ways away. And so they get distracted. And Jesus says, don't worry about them. Worry about you. Don't worry about them. Worry about you. How are you doing as a disciple? Stop worrying about them, worry about you. We can be distracted in those ways. It's not just uh, an us or others either. It's not just interpersonal because the third way that we can be distracted, another sign that we're distracted, uh, is that if we're this world enchanted. If we're this world enchanted. What I mean by that is we look around at the things that this world has to offer and they're shiny. Ooh, they look shiny. What can I get? How, how do I, you know, how do I go off and I get the, the shiny things of this world? How am I thinking about shiny things in this world? How do, I, how do I look at this world? I want you to notice Jesus begins talking here about children. He pulls a child uh, to them early on. And now in verse 42, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away... And this is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus refers to a disciple as a little one, as a child. He's referring to, he's like, just like the children, disciples are, are, are like, they're like ch children, and, and that's what our faith should be. The faith of a child, this is what he's saying. Discipleship is walking with Jesus as if we are children. We are so enamored with who he is that we trust him implicitly. We just, we, we just are so like, like, a, like a child with a loving parent. Some of you didn't have loving parents. That's not who God is. A loving parent. Somebody who, who is so uh, loving towards you that every single action is for your good. It's, and, and so we, we walk with him and we trust him at every single step of the way. You, you have a child sometimes that's walking with you and they hold your hand because they don't want to get lost. They're with you right here, right next to me. Jesus is saying, if anyone causes this disciple, this little one, to fall away, better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Which is hard for us. We should get that. Because as we walk with each other, we have to see that. It should be convicting to us as we walk this out. But he, he makes a shift here in verse 43. Because... He says, now imagine, what if, what if you're the disciple, the little child disciple, 
And it's not someone else that causes you to, uh, to fall away, but it's yourself. What if, what if you're the child and you cause yourself to fall away because there's parts of you that are so enamored with the world. Your hands want to reach out and grab onto the things that you once had in the world, the riches of the world, the temptations of the world, the sins of the world. Our hands are reaching out. It's almost like this picture is one of my hands is holding on to Jesus and the other one's reaching out for something else that's shiny here because I still really like the things of the world. Or the other one is that my feet, I have, I have two feet. One of my feet is running towards Jesus and my other one is running away from him. Or, or if, I have, if I have my eyes, one of my eyes is looking towards Jesus at the cross. I want to see him. I want to understand who he is. And my other eye is so captivated by this shiny thing in this kingdom. It's not the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of the world. I want that so badly that I'm going to ignore what God says. And Jesus is saying, if you cause yourself to fall away, wait, way better for you to take that hand that's so reaching out to other things and cut it off. Way better for you to take that foot that wants to run towards something that doesn't honor him, that isn't discipleship, and cut it off. Better to take the eye that is looking at the world and to cut it out, because otherwise you will find yourself on the outside looking in. There is, there is mention here. He mentions it numbers of times. Look at verse 43. It's better for you to enter life maimed, meaning to have a hand gone than to have two hands and go to hell. Cut it off. This is, this is the, the distracted disciple that is so enchanted with the world that they have parts of them that can't, they can't let go of the things that are here. They're so shiny and bright. And Jesus said, if that's you, then take some radical steps. Now, I hope nobody comes in here next week with, with one hand you know, like, let's not take this so literally. This is, he, he's saying, what are the things that are distracting to you? Look, let's just use some examples. If you are so distracted with TikTok, social media, whatever it is, that you're on there for 10 hours a day and you can't stop, it's discipling you. Let's just be honest. It is discipling you. You are being discipled by something. And I think Jesus would say, what's a radical step? Cut it off. If you're looking at pornography and that phone is just right there, Throw it out. Go get a flip phone. If it's something where you're, you're so tempted by whatever it is, I want, to, um, I, want a, I want a new job. I want more money. I want more things. I want uh, a spouse. I want this or that. Whatever it is that you're just so, you can't see Jesus because you're so enamored with this and, and the hope of what this is, whatever this might be for you, that you can't see that all I really want to do is be with Jesus, then maybe you cut it off. Maybe what you need to do is fast that thing. Maybe it's food. Maybe, maybe it's um, television. I don't know what it is for you. What is it, though, that draws you, that you just, you crave it, comfort, ease of life? Maybe it's something you just need to, for a season, say, you know what, let me put this aside. I tried to, I tried to fast social media one time. I talked about Twitter. It took me like two days to not just randomly pick up my phone without thinking about it and go to turn on social media. You realize, I think I think this thing has a hold of me, <laughs> you know? Like, I think I'm just so, I can't, my brain does it without 
thinking, but what are you discipled by that isn't the kingdom of Christ? Those are three signs, three signs uh, that I'm a distracted disciple. I'm self-focused, I'm others critical, and I'm this world enchanted. If any of those are, are where you're at, I think we can hopefully have at least one of those hit us, because I think none of us are perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have sin in us, and so something's here for us, and myself included. But I think we can look at this and say, okay, wh where am I at? I think I'm distracted somewhere. Let's work as a, as a church to move past that. And here's my warning. So I said, I said there was three signs and a warning. Here's the warning. We see it at the end of this text. Jesus says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Now that, that doesn't make sense in some ways. We don't understand that reference. Salt is good, but if salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. What does it mean? Because he's talking about there is this place. Is he referencing the fire that is not quenched in hell? What, what is he talking about here that we will all be salted with fire? Here's what it means. I'll sum it up and then I'll explain it. To be a disciple of Jesus will cost you something. If you're a disciple of Jesus and it doesn't cost you something, then I think we need to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, Lord, help me understand what it means for me to be a disciple. You think, Jason, how, how do you get that from this? Um, I, took two, I took two verses. There's more, all right? Let me just point two verses. Leviticus 2.13 says this. You are to season each of your grain offerings with salt. You must not omit from your grain offering the salt of the covenant. Listen to that language. The salt of the covenant with your God. You are to present salt with each of your offerings. The offerings, we bring them, these guys bring them with salt. They would, they would bring their offerings. Grain offerings are all their offerings. They'd, they'd bring salt with them as they would go into the flames as an offering. Their sacrifice would, would be met with salt. It would, salt would join it, and then it would be burned up as a sacrifice to their God, a covenant of salt. This is a covenant of salt. And again, in Ezekiel 43, 24, it says, You are to present your sacrifices before the Lord. The priests will throw salt on them and sacrifice them as a burnt offering to the Lord. Here, here's, and there's more than those. Here's what this means. We don't bring a sacrifice that's a bull or a goat or grain or a bird or something to be sacrificed on the altar with salt. We don't do that anymore. But we do bring a sacrifice. We do bring an offering. You know what it is? It's you. It's me. I bring to Jesus nothing. I bring, there's nothing in my hands. I don't say, look at all the good stuff I did. But what I do bring to him and say, I say, here's my life, imperfectly lived, but here's my life. Would you salt it, Lord, and use it for you? We will all be salted with fire. We, we all come to him and say, here, my life is an offering for you. 
My life is sacrificed for you. This is, this is what it costs us to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not as though we say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't want your lordship. I don't care about your kingship in my life. But here, here I am. Like, you can do whatever you want with me as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Jesus would say, that's not discipleship. And this is where verses, the warning comes in. This is where verses like, like, some will see him on the last day and, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, look at all the miracles I did in your name and the prophecies I prophesied. And he'll say, I never knew you. And brothers and sisters, listen, this is a warning. We can't escape this. There's something about it. We, we come to him with our lives. It costs us something. And me as a pastor, I sit here and I go, man, I want my life to count. I want to be those that are sacrificed for Jesus and to walk him out imperfectly. And I want, I want you, Christian, to walk your life out in a way that is pleasing to him and that matters for the kingdom. In short, I want you to be a disciple. Too many, uh, too many Christians these days uh, fail in discipleship. And, and we as pastors, we're eager to continue to walk this out and to see what it looks like and to, and to do so in such a way that, that gives him glory. In my huddle group, I have, I have a couple huddle groups uh, that I'm in. One of them, we're reading, uh, we're reading a, this really good book. One of the chapters is by Dallas Willard on the cost of non-discipleship. See, listen, it costs us something to be a disciple. But I want you to listen to what Dallas Willard says about non-discipleship. Listen to this. It's on the screen for you. He says, It is right to point out that one cannot be a disciple of Christ without forfeiting things normally sought in human life, and that one who pays little in the world's coinage to bear his name has reason to wonder where he or she stands with God. Let's let that sink in for a second. But the cost of non-discipleship is far greater even when this life alone is considered, then the price paid to walk with Jesus. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly the abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. Listen, the closer, Christian, that you can get to that sacrifice that Jesus had at the foot of the cross, to see that this is exactly what he came to bring, the hope and the peace and the joy that we have in him and, and, and the, the standing firm in discouraging circumstances because we know he's for us. He's not against us. He promises that he's going to be with us to the end of the age, power to do what is right and withstand forces of evil. All of those things, Christian, that is what we gain in discipleship. The cost of non-discipleship is forfeiting all of those things. So will it cost you to, to follow him? Yes, you will be salted with fire. But, but to not do that is far worse. To not do that is far worse. Now listen, here's the encouragement for you. These guys are distracted. Jesus doesn't say to them, you know what? This is one too many distractions. 
you guys get out of here. I got to get 12 other guys. Like, this is ridiculous. How many times do I have to remind you of this? Like, there, there's a strike limit here, guys. Baseball's got three strikes, you're out. I got, you know, I'm going to pick a number, 12 strikes. You guys are way past that. Get out of here. Let's go find different guys, right? I need to go find Tony. Where's Tony? Tony needs to join me because I don't know. Where's that guy? Peter, enough. He doesn't do that. You know why? Because he's patient with us. <laughs> he, he doesn't, there isn't this opportunity for him to just say, enough's enough, man. You're out of here. No, he's patient with you. And he's patient with me, which is such good news. Because you will not be a perfect disciple. You will be distracted. The question is, is when we're in our distracted moments, what do we do? Which leads me to my live it out point. Before I get there, let me say this. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're here. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're watching online. Thank you for doing that. Um, let me just say this to you. Uh, you're living in this, in this state of non-discipleship. This cost of non-discipleship is your reality. Maybe, maybe even as I read this quote about, you know, life penetrated through by love and faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good and hope and power to do what is right and withstand evil, all those things, you're like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I feel like my life's okay, though. I would say, well, there's more to life than what you're experiencing. And, you know, it, it doesn't cost you anything except uh, for just a simple, basic trust and faith that Jesus is who he said he is and that he can do what he says, which is to rescue you from yourself, to, to take all of the guilt upon himself and to, and to move you into a place of saying, yeah, you're adopted into my family. This is the joy of the gospel reality, Jesus' death and resurrection that these guys uh, saw so far away. For you, maybe it seems so far away. What I would say is draw near to the, to the cross of Christ. If you think about it, like, well, what does that mean? Come talk to me after. Or whoever brought you, ask them. Because there is, there is joy that can be had here. Because distance from the cross of Christ leads to distracted discipleship. Perhaps for you, it's just distance from the cross of Christ leads to just distractedness. You don't even see discipleship. It's not even there. I'll just say draw near to the cross. Two ways that we can live this out. The first is go back to go forward. Go back to go forward. What I mean by that is we need to see Jesus and his redemption as bigger again. See it again for the first time. Like, when was it? When was the last time that you thought about your, your conversion? When was the last time you thought about the simplicity of following Jesus? We were talking in our huddle group this past week again. Um, just how, like, sometimes just that simplicity of following Jesus gets lost because we get so distracted by stuff. Let's go back to the beginning. Go back to him. Go back to the foot of the cross. They were too far away. These guys were too far away. Sometimes we're too far away. Sometimes we just, we just move on to other things. Too far away, but, but we don't want to be too far away. We want to draw near to the throne of grace. We want to draw near to him and see him again. I mentioned my huddle group a couple times. I love that, I love that group of guys. I have a couple of them, but I love, I love those guys because uh, they help me understand more about where I'm at as a disciple and walking with Jesus and, and what that looks like. You know, we, want to be, we do want to be passionately one. It's a process but we can't survive without each other. And so how do we do that? How do we move that way into an opportunity to serve each other or, or to be in a group or to spend time together? Just I would I encourage you to, to find those times. 
The second way we can live this out is to ask this question. It's a little bit of a mouthful, so we'll leave it up there for a second. Do I live here mostly as a citizen of this kingdom or as an ambassador for another one? Do I live here mostly as a citizen of this kingdom, this worldly, earthly kingdom, or as an ambassador for another one? Meaning, do I see my life here as just, yeah, I'm just living here. I belong here. Or do we see this life as, yeah, I've been sent by a king. I've been sent by a king on a mission to, to live in the land, but to tell the people here as an ambassador that there's another king who's greater who has more hope and more joy for them and more grace for them and more love for them. Is that, is that how I see myself? Which one is it? Do I live mostly here as just a citizen of this kingdom, just get through it, or, or am I here uh, for another kingdom? I think the more we're ambassadors, the more we're full-time disciples. Sometimes if we're seeing ourselves as citizens, we're just part-time disciples, and that's how we're living, the reality of it. I mean, we're always disciples of Jesus. But the reality of it day to day seems like maybe we're just part-time disciples. And, and, and uh, as we think about you know, spiritual maturity and growth, I think it just, it's, it's just looking more like him tomorrow than we did yesterday. And we're all in process, church, and Jesus is patient with us, and we want to recognize that. Julie, I'm going to have you come up as we get ready to close. He, he's patient with us. So if you're, if you're walking out of here feeling super guilty, don't feel guilty. Maybe there's conviction. What's great? Spirit is at work and he's working on you. That's great. But don't walk out of here feeling like, I got to do more. No, no, no. You, you don't need to necessarily do more. You need to see more. You need to see him more. You need to recognize him more. Where is he working more? Where, where, can, I, where can I trust in him more. Where am I trusting in myself? Let me actually remove those things and recognize that he's at work in me and I want my life to count for him. May it be so for his glory. We're going to take communion here in a moment. Let me pray first though before we sing uh, and then we'll stand. Lord, I ask that you would help us Lord to walk out this Christian life and this life of, of looking like you Lord as a Lord as a daily pursuit we said weeks ago that this is a really difficult section of the Bible in Mark. Because, Lord, you are, you are really bringing home the need to trust you and to live for you. And that this life is not about this life. This life is about you. And, and that's a, it's a hard call, Lord. We, we recognize that it's a hard call. It is hard to be a disciple of yours in this world. So we ask that your spirit would move us and change us and grow us. Don't allow us to stand where we are and never move forward, Lord. Allow us to move forward, Lord. Bring the conviction of the Spirit into us. Lord, help us to see you again clearly. Move in us. Walk with us. Grow us. Thank you for your patience with us and your pursuing love of us. Lord, may, may, our, um, may our walk with you tomorrow look more like you than it did today. And as a church, would our, would our church a year from now look more like you than we do today? Lord, we're grateful for your, for your overwhelming kindness to us. Lord, in all of our failures, 
to not meet the standards of discipleship, you will not let us go. And for that, we're grateful. Lord, help us to help us to be those that love you above other things. Help us to not be distracted. Help us to linger at the foot of the cross, Lord, for your glory and name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.